Oh, my goodness. Hey, good morning. How are you today? So, I don't know if you've noticed, but our world seems to have a lot of fear. And I was, I was kind of looking at fears and especially irrational fears. And, and I came across some phobias that I, I rather liked. I'm just going to do a little disclaimer. If you suffer with any of these, I am sorry I picked this. <laughs> but, but here's, and can I get my screens switched, by the way, please? Because I don't have any idea what phobia is coming first. Go, go ahead and, and put them up there. Um, so fear of public speaking is a big one <laughs> for a lot of people. Being stuck on stage and not knowing what to say. Hey, Cameron, can you just go to the next slide? Hey, there we go. Okay, so, so cacophobia is a fear of ugliness. And I, I was wondering, like, if you consider yourself ugly, like, do you have a fear of mirrors? Yeah. Um, th- this was one of my favorites, Dutch affairs. Dutch phobia. Can you, can you guess what that? Fear of the Dutch. Um, scriptophobia, the fear of writing in public. Um, Caligynophobia is the fear of beautiful women, or called junior high. Um, <laughs> And this is my favorite, by far. Hippopotomonstrosisquepdaliophobia. It's the fear of long words. Yeah, yeah. So there, there are these irrational fears, but there are some also pretty rational fears. Um, uh, uh, University in California, Chapman University, over the last several years has done surveys of what Americans consider their biggest fears. And here were some of the things on the list. Like 75% of people, corrupt government officials, terror attacks, money for the future, like having enough money for the future saved up, um, death of a loved one, economic or financial collapse, and health care. Those were like kind of the biggest um, like 50% or more of Americans, this was one of their, one of their fears. So um, huge, huge fears. And, and one of the things that, that you would notice if you were to really kind of break this list down is there are some fears that kind of lie underneath. And more than fears, they're really basic human needs. Maslow had like eight of them. I have three. I think he was too wordy. Um, they, they are love, security, and significance. Love, security, and significance. The need to be loved, but also the need to love. Security, the need to feel safe, like everything is okay, and then the need for significance, that my life matters and that it's about more than just me and what's going on in my world. 
And when those needs go unmet, we begin to search to fulfill them and make sure they, we, those felt needs, those basic needs are, are taken care of. And if we feel unloved, we will search for a lover. If we feel unsecure, we will search for a savior. If we feel insignificant, we'll search for a place that we feel we matter. And so these basic needs kind of guide and drive and direct our life. They push us forward. Over the last several years, I have developed a deep, deep love for the Psalms. And one of the things I've noticed in the Psalms is they begin to put words to what I'm thinking. They begin to give me a language to speak with. Because these are thoughts and these are feelings I have and I don't really know how to express them, but the psalmist seemed to do a great job at expressing those. And so through those, I've developed a, a relationship and a deeper understanding, I think, of things like fear and pain and suffering. And I wonder in the midst of all of this, if there is still not one thing that as we face those fears, as we face that darkness, as we face that suffering, if there's not still something that can call us forward in the face of those fears, if there's not something in our life, something outside of ourselves that, that intrigues us, that draws us, that encourages us and says, come, take a step. Israel has a, a tendency to develop patterns. And there's a pattern that develops very early, even before Israel becomes a nation. And it's one that continues on that you see throughout the Bible. And it's this sin, slavery, and redemption. Sin, slavery, and redemption. That people sin, and because of that sin, they get stuck in slavery and they're trapped there, and then there is the need for someone to come and save them, or someone to come and redeem them. And so this pattern develops for Israel. And it seems like in the middle of this pattern, as people are stuck in slavery, as people find themselves in exile, as people find themselves in tears and darkness and hurting, they continually cry out to God. And this psalm, Psalm 80, begins from that place. Begins from a place of slavery as the result of sin. And I want you to listen to the words of the psalmist. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, who lead Joseph like a flock. You sit enthroned between the cherubim. Shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. When you're in that place, that's the prayer, that's the plea. God, come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of the derision to our neighbor's and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we 
may be saved. And there's this, this refrain that's going to happen throughout this psalm. And it's, restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Restore us, O God. Shine, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. And as, after he says that the very first time, he, he begins to tell you a bit of where they are. He says, we're in this place where you are making us drink tears by the bowlful. You are feeding us with the bread of our tears. Isn't it interesting how the psalmist here seems to take all of the blame and say, God, this is you that's doing this to us. You are the one who has put us here. And I wonder if God doesn't just look down on the city, not with disgust and anger at the people, but with pity. Not how can you do this, how can you get yourself here, but oh, Israel, how long will it take you to finally trust in me? How long will you find yourself in this pattern of sin, slavery, redemption, before you simply say, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm done with playing it my way and trying to do things my way. How, how long must you wait? Because this pattern comes up over and over and over. It's the story of Noah, where there's sin and the people find themselves in slavery and they need to be redeemed. It's the story of Joseph and his brothers as they sin and they find themselves in slavery and they need to be redeemed. It's the story of Moses as he kills a man and finds himself in the desert and needs to be redeemed. It's the story of Israel crossing the Red Sea where they find themselves sinning in, in slavery and need of redemption. And it's a pattern that happens over and over and over and over. And I would imagine if you think about it long enough, it's a pattern you probably see in your own life as well of sin, slavery, and redemption. And we think about those basic needs. Love, security, significance. And in essence, that's the refrain of Israel's prayer. Because the refrain of the prayer, restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Is really, God, restore us. Bless us. Save us. Because God's face shining upon us is simply a sign of blessing. God, restore us. God, bless us. God, save us. And there's something really interesting about two of the three of these. If we talk about God, bless us, there's kind of an immediacy to that. There, there is an instantaneous aspect of it. That in an instant, God can bless someone. 
And it happens continually throughout the rest of your life. But there is this moment where God can simply pour out a blessing on someone and they can experience that blessing. And it happens continually. And the same is true about save us. As soon as we enter the waters and are baptized and we walk out on the other side of the water, set free, there is this instantaneous moment where you are transported from this present age to the age that is to come, God's eternal kingdom. There is an instantaneous aspect of that. And it continues to happen over the course of our life as God continues to save us. But the first part of this prayer, God restore us, is not so quite instantaneous. Several years ago, um, back in, I guess, 2013, I decided that I was going to give my wife a gift, and I was going to refinish our kitchen table. And so she was gone one weekend on a trip with the kids, and I had unlimited space and very limited time, two days to be exact. And so I did what every um, male who has no clue what they're doing in the furniture restoration business, they get on YouTube and figure it out. And so I get on YouTube, and the video on how to restore furniture is like 15 minutes long, but my time is limited, and so I don't have the whole time. And so I kind of skip ahead to the actual work part. You, you don't really need all the pre-information stuff, right? That this is going to take time, that you're going to have to have some patience, that plan to do this over, and I kind of fast-forwarded through that stuff. And I got to the part where you get the sander out. And I sanded all the finish off the table and got it down. And I'm thinking, man, this is, this is great. It's Friday night. They, they just left. And, and I've, I've got the tabletop done. I'm going to come back tomorrow. And I'm going to finish up the, the legs of the table and, and get to this place where this table is awesome. And, and they're going to be back Sunday around 3 or 4 o'clock. So let's get busy. So I spent all Saturday working on it. And one of the things that I began to notice is this is taking a little bit more time than I had expected. And the process was not quite as simple as I thought it would be. And Saturday comes and goes. And then Sunday. And my wife comes home. And there, in our garage, is a beautiful, unfinished table. And I began to talk to, th this is actually the finished product. I, I began to talk to Frank Marcoons, and he was saying, oh, <laughs> this is going to take some time. He goes, do you have any idea what you're doing? I said, No. No, I'm kind of in over my head. And he kind of started walking me through this process. And then, lo and behold, a couple of months later, a table was finished. And, and I have to admit, I'm kind of proud of it now. But, but one of the things that I learned is, is when I started this project, I had this picture in my mind 
of how everything was going to unfold. I knew how the table was going to look, and I knew how incredibly excited my wife was going to be when she walked in the door and said, oh, I can't. this is amazing. Like, you're the next Bob Vila. And my expectations fell a little bit short. And what I learned is the process nor the final product looked like I had imagined. And this restoration project that is you, that was Israel, the process nor the final product will look like you imagined. The process, nor the final product, will probably ever look the way that you thought it would look. And I think God would simply say to this prayer, restore us as I am. But you didn't get here overnight. God, restore my marriage I, I am. I'm trying. But you didn't get to this place overnight. God, restore the trust they have in me. I'm, I'm, I am, but you did not get here overnight. God, restore my children. I, I, I'm trying. They did not get here overnight. And see, for, for blessing, God can say, here it is. I'm going to pour it out on you and you can experience it in just an instant and you can experience it over and over and over. And for saving, here, here it is. I'm, I'm saving you. I'm going to reach down. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to lift you out of the mud and the mire. I'm going to set your feet on the rock. And I'm going to do it over and over and over. God, restore us. I am. But this is going to take a while. And see, it's in the waiting that we begin to struggle. Because waiting makes us feel uncomfortable. And the very thing God calls us to do in that moment, He calls us into the pain, He calls us into the darkness, He calls us into the suffering, and He says, just sit and wait and be with me. And the very thing God calls us into we try to avoid. And the psalmist ends in Psalm 80 with this. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. Like, I understand you're sending this Messiah. I understand you're giving this Jesus, this one that you've raised up, the son of man. Send him. Have favor on him. Send us to save us. Send him to restore us. I am. But it's going to take some time. Because then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. See, the, the most difficult part of the restoration process is the patience to wait. And, and just by our nature, and I think even more so today in our world, we are very impatient people. Um, this past week, I got a new toy, an iPhone 10. 
and I was not planning on getting it, it makes it even better. So Monday, my wife's phone was dying, and it was, battery life was non-existent, and so she goes into AT&T to get it fixed, and they say, well, you just, it's probably better to get a new phone, and if you do this, your bill's going to go up this much, and she's, that's, that's a lot. We have a promotion right now, it's buy one, get one free. And if you get two phones, your bill's not going to go up this much. It's only going to go up this much. And because you've been long-time loyal customers, we can even take a little bit more off that. The only catch is you've got to get an iPhone 10. So she calls me, says, hey, do you want an iPhone 10? I said, no, I don't want to pay the money. No, it'll save us some money. Yeah. Of course I do. And so I'm, I'm starting thinking, she's like, well, what color do you want? I'm, I'm thinking she's going to get it and bring it home. No. They'll deliver it. And it'll leave somewhere around December 12th. <sighs> and what, what's so funny is 15 minutes before she called, I had no desire no anticipation of getting a new phone. And I'm kind of a closet technology nerd, just so you know. So that kind of got me excited. And then to find out that I'm going to have to wait. But the amazing thing is that it showed up Friday. A week and a half early. I got my new phone. You know what's pretty crazy? Is as excited as I was to get it. That feeling of euphoria faded very quickly. Because when I started to see that, well, it's, it's a pretty cool little bit newer version of what I already had. The newness wasn't quite so spectacular. See, see, we live in a world where we have so many drugs to numb the pain. And yes, there are drugs that you drink or inject, but there's also drugs of just buying stuff to make the time pass faster so we don't have to feel the uncomfortableness of unknowing the uncomfortableness of waiting and so enter a prophet a man who lived about 700 B.C. And he comes with a promise. He says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. 
See, Bethlehem wasn't this massive, prominent city. But if you were walking down the road and entering the city, if they had display signs, it would probably say something like, Welcome to Bethlehem, the birthplace of King David. See, that was the only real reason the village was on the map. It was the only real reason that anyone knew of it. Because the greatest king in Israel came from there. And here comes Micah with this promise that there's going to be another king in the line of King David who's going to come out of Bethlehem. And this king is the promised Messiah. This king is the one you've been waiting for. And I don't know about you, but that seems pretty But then you start waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and waiting. 700 years. You only thought your wife took a long time to get ready last night. 700 years. waiting. And the world tends to continue on. Even in the midst of the waiting, even in the midst of the unknowing, even in the midst of the uncomfortableness, the world continues on because there are children to feed and there are crops to grow and there are livestock to take care of and there are taxes to pay. Life just gets in the way and over time those promises become a distant, faded memory. That God's going to come down. God's going to save his people. God's going to reach down into this world. And he's not just going to save. And he's not just going to bless. But he's going to restore these people. But we wait. And we wait. And we wait. And there. There in Bethlehem. In the back alleys of Bethlehem in a barn born into the manure and the stench of this world is the one that God had raised up. The one at His right hand. The Son of Man that He was sending into this world into the darkness, into the silence. A king. And there in the silence of a city that is full of people who have come for a census and now is overcrowded, think for a moment. As night falls and darkness comes, there is no noise except for a baby crying. In the silence, no cars, no music, but calm. And there in the darkness, Stars and angels pierce the deafening darkness with this glorious, magnificent light. 
and there is a new day waiting right around the corner. The prophecy 700 years earlier has come. And maybe this is the best place to be. Surprised and caught off guard that Messiah has entered in our world. He's come in ways that we weren't expecting. He's come and He's asked to follow. He's come not born in a palace, but a barn. A king who has no place to lay his head. A king whose coronation ceremony is a cross. But he comes in the darkness of night. So that there is no mistaking that it's him that you have encountered. And what happens over time, I think the drugs become so powerful in dulling our state and putting us in this comatose state that we lose focus of what really matters in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering. And over time, we find ourselves admiring Jesus and yet submitting to Caesar. Because we have power and we have control and we have money and we have possessions and we have safety. All of these things to help dull the pain. To hide what the real problem is. And in the midst of this, the call to follow Jesus, there is this incredible fear of what could come next. That if I truly follow him, if I truly submit my life to him, if I truly give him everything, I have no idea what that means. And fear keeps you from stepping out, and fear keeps you from following him. And here's one thing I am learning, is that fear will always set itself in opposition to God's promises. Fear will always set itself in opposition to God's promises. And just because you're afraid, just because you see what is there, does not mean you don't follow. It does not mean you fully submit. It does not mean you give up. It does not mean you don't go. It means you go anyway. You go anyway. Because really, what is the worst that could happen? What is the worst that could happen if you truly give your life to Jesus? If you truly submit everything to Him, what is the worst that could happen to you? We, we could die. And I think Jesus would look straight back at you and say, that's great. I've already conquered that. Come, follow Come submit to me. Come be my disciple. Come enter into that place of fear, and I'm going to be with you. And here's the thing. In that fear, you may find your greatest fear was actually true. The monster you thought was under the bed may really be there. And Jesus says, come. Come anyway. Come and follow me. See, fear has this ugly little friend that it carries around with it, and it's called doubt. 
And I think one of the things that Israel finds itself in this place, constantly asking God to restore them, restore us, restore us, restore us. And over time, they begin to doubt their salvation because they aren't seeing their restoration. Because the restoration is a process and it takes time. That God can save you in an instant, but it might take some time to restore you. It might take some time to get you to where you're supposed to be. And so Mark writes these powerful words from Jesus himself. And Jesus says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to some or to you, I say to everyone, watch. Like it's so easy to find ourselves asleep. It's so easy to find ourselves in this comatose state where we're using everything else to make us feel safe and everything else to make us feel secure. And God says, no, it's not in the waiting. It's not in the tears that you think I'm placing on you that I'm saving you from. That I'm using those tears, I'm using that pain, I'm using that suffering to restore you. I'm using that to get you to where you need to be. I'm using it so that you understand and know that I'm in control. See, fear says stay hope and faith say come come follow me hope calls us forward in the face of fear and says take a step I wonder what fears are keeping you from following Jesus. What are the things in your life that seem to distract you, that pull you in other directions, that make you doubt love and security and significance? What are those fears? I was thinking, just for a moment, I want to kind of be vulnerable. The things that I find that I'm most afraid of. I'm afraid I won't have enough. Not not just for now, but in the future. I, I won't have enough to take care of my kids. I won't have enough to take care of my family. I won't have enough to take care of me. I'm afraid I won't be safe. Like we we are so hyper aware of threats today. I'm afraid at times I'm not going to be safe. I'm afraid my kids, my wife, are not going to be safe. I'm afraid in my vulnerability, I may get hurt. That if I open myself up, if I really put myself out there, 
it might not end well for me. I'm afraid I might live a life that won't matter. And I come to the end and I've been so concerned about safety and security. that I never really did anything significant. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to do something real quick. If you can relate to any one of those fears, would you stand up? On this journey together. And these fears that we share so often keep us from following Jesus. They keep us from fully submitting, they keep us from fully surrendering. And I just want to ask this morning if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to take a step this morning. Wherever our shepherds are, I want to just ask you to step out into the aisle. Shepherds and wives, staff, just wherever you are, just step out in the aisle. And I want to ask if today, if there is some fear that is holding you back and keeping you from following Jesus, I want you to physically move somewhere. To one of these shepherds, to one of these staff, just to stand there. And we're going to pray in just a minute over everyone in this room. That God would give us the courage in the midst of the fear to take a step. And right now, it's symbolic. But when you walk out these doors, it is for real. And it matters that today we follow a little closer to Jesus than we did yesterday. And so during these next few songs, I want to give you an opportunity to go. And if our shepherds, if while you're there, if you want to just sing during that time, you can. If you want to pray over people as they come, you can. Whatever you want to do, you're welcome to do where you are. But there's a verse we're going to sing in a song. If you can put that verse back up on the screen. O little town of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. Can you find that one, a couple slides back? No. Go to the actual sermon slide. O little, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the glad tidings tell. Come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. And that is our prayer as we sing. If you need to take a step, take a step. And don't let fear be the greatest power in your life.
the hope of Jesus to surpass them. Come while we stand and sing.